everybody, welcome to another edition, edition number 42 of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Jeff Paulson. Joining me from an undisclosed location on a burner phone, it's my co-host, Mark A. Johnson. Mark, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, this is a pretty interesting undisclosed location because I don't even know where it is. I think they blindfolded you, yeah. turned you around in circles. They made me drink and, whiskey, and, and then they blindfolded oh. me, and then they. I, but it's it's kind of nice. There's a there's a pinball machine. <laughs> it's not plugged in, but there is a pinball. No, it's machine. there. Yeah, yeah. So Mark has been uh, abducted, and they've absconded with his his laptop. So he has lost all of his notes for this show, and he's on his phone. Yes. So <laughs> this is. We're down a little bit, but uh, we are here. This is show number forty-two. We we probably should have made this the Jackie Robinson show. We didn't think about oh, that. Oh man, that's baseball a history podcast. That's a good point. You could do like five shows on Jackie, though. And clearly, we will at some point. It's just this now that I'm thinking about it would have been a ideal time to do it. But yeah, I've never never claimed to be too smart. So, Mark, we're going to uh, let's get started with BP uh, first of all. No kangaroo court this week. We made it. Either we made it or just nobody listened to the last show. One of the Another two. possibility. I'm leaning towards the latter, but we'll, we'll, we'll press on anyway. Last week also we talked about the history of baseball bats. And I could not believe the amount of stuff that I found on the history of baseball bats. So much, in fact, that we had to skip some of it. And so I wanted to go through a couple of things right now uh, during BP that I just didn't have time to get to last week. Uh, first of all, in terms of bats, Honus Wagner, back in the early 1900s, was the very first player to ever have their name burned into their bat. So, you know, you see it all the time now. Every player's got their name or their signature on their bat. Honus Wagner, over 120 years ago, was the first guy to have that happen. I thought that was pretty cool. That That's cool. Do you think that uh, in the gift shop they sold little mini Honus Wagner bats? Yeah, because team stores were really big at the turn of the century. They were well. You just plug in that uh, wood burning kit that you got for Christmas, and uh, you just write the kid's name. I don't know, just a thought. Yeah, just just remember, most stadiums at that point were like a hundred percent wood, so you probably wouldn't want to fire up that wood burning kit inside of the wood stadium. Well, you know that's really up to the fire marshal. Just say, right. just say. All right. Uh, also, we mentioned Louisville Slugger a lot. Uh, they did something cool during both World War One and Two. While they still did make bats for whatever baseball was being played during those times, they also manufactured the uh, rifle stocks for all of the all of the the, the rifles for the war effort. So they were oh, they were oh. kicking out a couple of different things. That's really cool. Our, our boy that we we name check every episode, it seems in these notes, Nap Lajouet. He used a very special bat. I posted it on uh, on our Twitter feed last week. I'll probably do it again this week since we're talking about it now. He used a bat with two knobs on it. So, you know, you've got the knob at the bottom of the bat, but then he had another one in between where his two hands would meet so that he, he thought that gave him extra leverage. I looked at it. It's interesting. Yeah. It might be fun to swing a couple times, see how it feels. Yeah, get one of those and an axe handle bat. That... Although I guess that would... That would kind of negate what the axe handle does, but pretty cool. <laughs> well, you never Still. know. Uh, Babe Ruth and Hank Aaron used similar models, but a little bit of a difference in weight. <laughs> Babe Ruth's bat weighed 42 ounces. 
Hank Aaron's weighed 33. So. <laughs> you know what? And 33 is is because I've seen bats as light as 28 ounces and stuff. And 33, you know, he's swinging a pretty generalized bat, but 42, come on, that is a redwood that he is. <laughs> it is. I mean, you. I I would think though that you could probably. I mean, it's Babe Ruth, so obviously he did a lot of damage. But I would think if anybody goes up there swinging that kind of bat, you they're not going to have a lot of bat speed. <laughs> yeah, it's. I don't think it was all but, bat speed for for the Babe. Obviously not, unless he was just so ridiculously strong, he could swing a forty-two ounce bat through the air like it's a, you know, something you swing fast. <laughs> not a lot of sliders though, or a split finger probably at that point. This is true. <laughs> Mainly just uh, shine balls and <laughs> and spitters. Those are the only things, and and the occasional curveball. Yeah, mentioned Ted Williams quite a bit. He, you know, of course, could just pick up the bat and tell you if that was the right size and. The, if the grip was too, if it was too thick, just by, by picking it up. But he also did something uh, rather interesting. He did not like pine tar on his bat. He used pine tar, but he, did, he wanted to remove it after he was done with it so that it didn't build up because he thought it affected the balance point of the bat. So he would actually remove it with alcohol. Oh, wow. And even later on in his career, he came up with his own concoction to use instead of pine tar where he would mix olive oil and resin together to get a grip and that came off a lot lot easier so well i more bat wizardry i bet it smelled better too you know a little olive oil a little resin yeah he would he was also known to keep a, a little piece of french toast that <laughs> uh, french toast french bread in his back pocket and you know if he needed a snack while he was you know up at bat he rubbed the the bread on the bat hey, hey it's, so, you know what it's only weird if it doesn't work man uh, this one's a little bit more serious. Uh, have you ever heard of the emerald ash borer? Mm, no, I can't say that I have. No? Well, it's an exotic beetle that was accidentally imported from Asia. It has already killed more than 50 million trees, and it is now threatening trees in New York's Adirondack Mountains, which is where a lot of the wood that is used for baseball bats today is. Well, that's frightening. So this is a... Yeah, this is a big deal. So because the global temperature is rising, because, yes, climate change is real, this is likely allowing the beetle to be able to survive in a climate that used to be too cold for it. More real world, you know, problems with, with global warming is uh, it's affecting baseball bats, of all things. Well, and wouldn't it, doesn't it thin the air out? That's why the home runs. I, I blame global warming for all the home runs. You know, I was thinking, though, with all those trees being ruined, man, it's too bad we couldn't have gotten in and clear-cut at first. I mean, since they were going anyway. <laughs> just just take care of yeah, it. Yeah, I mean. We'll eradicate the the emerald ash borers right. by just simply getting rid of all the trees. Right. Where is he going to go? If we, if we knock out all his trees, where is he going to go? There you go. That sounds very logical. Yeah, yeah I'm 100% on board with that. Always thinking, man. I'm always thinking. Uh, the final one was Pete Rose. So we talked about Pete Rose and we had a chuckle because we're 12 years old about how he would bone his bats. <laughs> he had another way of making them a little bit harder, which is what the boning did. <laughs> uh, but the, what he would also do, he would also soak them in a tub of motor oil in his basement and then he'd hang them up to dry. Huh. That's pretty slick. He was lubricating before he boned his bats, <laughs> I guess. It's... <laughs> Oh, there goes our safer work I'm, tag I'm, right there. I'm boycotting because I don't want to talk about Pete Rose. <laughs> That's what's bugging me. <laughs> oh, all right. So there's some just some additional uh, bat 
trivia from our show last week that we couldn't fit in. This is usually the part of our BP segment where we do debuts. Obviously, we are in the off-season, so there are no debuts. So we, we steer towards birthdays. We had a couple of birthdays uh, today. The show premiering on November 19th. Born on this date, 1921, Roy Campanella. Uh-huh. Campy. One of the greats. Yeah, Campy was a prototypical catcher. He uh, spent his entire career in the major leagues, uh, all 10 years with the Brooklyn Dodgers. Before that, he was a star in the Negro Leagues. He also played in the Mexican Leagues. He debuted with the Dodgers in 1948. He was a three-time MVP, an eight-time All-Star. So he was he only played in the league for 10 years. He was named league MVP three times and an All-Star eight out of those 10 years. Wow. The first time that he made the all-star team was the first year that black players were included on the all-star team so he and jackie robinson were were on that team and uh, then he was also a member of the 1955 world championship team with brooklyn wow an all-around amazing catcher and he could hit a ton yeah i mean this uh, three-time mvp yeah you don't you don't win one let alone three without being just a, a great player Yeah, he was great he was inducted into the hall of fame in 1969 uh, after Jackie Robinson, he was the second black player inducted. His career, unfortunately, cut short as uh, during the offseason of 1958, he was involved in a single car accident where his car flipped and he broke his spine Oof. and he was in a wheelchair the rest of his life, Oof. which is obviously unfortunate, but also, you know, cut such a such a great career short as well. Yeah. The uh, one one kind of pop culture reference for Roy Campanella that I came up with. Actually, I know there's another one because I know he did a he did a commercial for Gillette, like his rookie as a rookie. Again, like the the second year that black players were allowed in in baseball, he was already doing a national commercial for Gillette, which I thought was pretty cool. Wow! But Billy Joel actually name checks him in the We Didn't Start the Fires. No kidding. Yeah, I don't know. I had to look it up, but yeah, he was definitely in there. Hmm. Uh, The other birthday I found today, 1979. The big piece, Ryan Howard, who I was completely unaware he was called the big piece. <laughs> the big, is that P-E-A-C-E or P-I-E-C-E? Uh, P-I-E-C-E. It's like the yep, big piece like of cake. Big piece of meat up there at the place, I, I guess. Oh. I, I, Subway, remember he did he did Subway commercials? They really should have named a, a sandwich the big piece. Yeah, that, that would make sense now. He had a couple of monster years, didn't he? Yeah, so he was the Rookie of the Year in 2005, and then the next year won the MVP. He was a member of the 2008 World Series team with the Phillies, and he had a stretch from 2006 through 2009. Those four seasons, he hit 198 home runs and knocked in 572 RBI. Wow. That's, I'll take it. Man, that's a career (laughs) in four years. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just he was he was one of the absolute best during that time. He was during that stretch. He was the fastest player in baseball history to reach 1000 RBI. He was the fastest to reach 100 home runs. And then he was the fastest to reach 200 home runs. Wow. I believe he has been passed. I think a couple of players have beat him to those home run totals since then. Like I think probably Aaron Judge, a couple of other guys, because I know they were those records are obviously falling pretty quick these days. He did, uh, after 2011, though, wow, he just kind of disappeared. After that, he played for four more seasons of the big leagues and had a negative war in all but one of those. Huh. 
he signed that he signed a monster extension after I think it was the 2010 season, and then just boy, the Phillies had to eat that for a long time. They couldn't get rid of him. Wow. A couple of pop culture uh, references for Ryan Howard. He appeared in an episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia as himself, uh, along with Chase Utley. He uh, went to a, I remember it was a benefit of, of some sort, I, for something to do with animals, I believe. And Mac, all Mac wanted to do was was have a catch with Chase Utley. And then uh, they all got drunk, except for Ryan Howard and <laughs> Chase Utley, of course. Didn't. Right. Uh, he was also on an episode of The Office, which was uh, kind of weird, because one of the main characters in The Office is also named Ryan Howard. Oh, that's but, funny. Uh, there you go. Yeah. All right, so uh, let's let the grounds crew do their stuff uh, as we get ready for the main part of the show. Part of the grounds crew uh, duties this week is to set up the garbage can down in the tunnel past the dugout, just in case anybody wants to bang on that during <laughs> during the game. They are welcome to. Yes. Oh, Todd Rundgren. Uh, there you go. I'm not sure they've named whoever is supposedly doing this. <laughs> I, and, of course, I know who Todd Rundgren is. But. Yes. Trying to trying to bring it back to baseball in case you have been under a rock on the moon or just unconscious for the past like two and a half weeks. A lot of talk about sign stealing and the Houston Astros going on. Uh, I, I'm going to start this out, Mark, because I, I thought it would be timely uh, to talk about the history of sign stealing. And we've we've talked about it a couple of times earlier. I did a I did an episode on cheating in baseball, how to do it. You did an unwritten rules of baseball, which this certainly falls right within Mm -hmm. and is something that we'll we'll talk about here as we talk about the history of stealing signs. Uh, Just to catch everybody up in case you don't know, there was a big article in The Athletic last week where uh, Mike Fires, former Astros pitcher, current athletics pitcher, actually went on the record about something that a lot of teams have suspected for a couple of years, uh, the Astros doing, and that is stealing signs and relaying them to the batter. Mike Fires, and this is a rarity, especially for a active major league player to go on the record and say something like this. He did, you know, he won a World Series ring with the team in 2017, and, and I will be the first to admit he's thrown two no hitters in the last two seasons with the A's. Mike Fires clearly bends the rules uh there is clear evidence of during his last no hitter he's got pine tar on his glove sure and he was he he went to it and this was another thing that we talked about in cheating is that a lot of players actually don't mind pitchers using pine tar because it helps them grip the ball better likely they're not going to hit somebody right and, and throw a wild pitch with that right it, it actually is uh I, the more pitchers use it than don't i would say Oh, I, I absolutely agree, but it is against the rules, yes. and it is 100%. You know, if you're too obvious with it, thinking Michael Pineda on the on the Twins, yeah. or I guess he was with the Yankees when that happened, when he had it on his neck, you're going to get called on it. But as long as you're relatively, you know, stealthy about it, nobody's going to say anything, and pitchers on all teams do this. Yes. But um, it's part of the unwritten rules of baseball that you don't, you don't talk about these kind of things. And so that's kind of one of the things that's unique about this is that Fires, you know, went on the record and said this. And I've read a lot of things on the Internet of people that aren't really tuned into the baseball world saying, why is this such a big deal? And before we get into history, 
I found this great quote from Greg Maddox that really, I think, explains why sign stealing and telling a batter what kind of pitch is coming is a big deal. He was talking to a bunch of younger pitchers in spring training one time when he was with the Braves, and he said he said this. He says, do you guys want to know why I'm a millionaire? And he said, it's because I can throw my fastball wherever I want to. And then he said, you know why I've got beachfront property in L.A.? It's because I can change speeds. Mm-hmm. You know, that pretty much says it right there. The reason, because Greg Maddox maybe topped out at 89 on his fastball, right. but because he could locate and because he could throw the fastball and then off speed and put it where he wanted, guys are off balance and they just couldn't hit him very well. Right. And so if a guy knows that if you're down 0-2 and you know that a, that a, a splitter is coming rather than a fastball, which, you know, they both look the same out of the pitcher's hand, that's going to be a huge advantage to you. Oh, absolutely. That is absolutely why this is such a big deal. Before this last season, MLB actually reinforced the rule by prohibiting teams from placing cameras between the foul poles within the view of the catcher's sign. And they also specifically said that you cannot use technology to, you know, to to look at signs. They also mandated that all TV monitors visible to players must be placed on an eight second delay. Now, a lot of this is because there has been some cheating going on in recent years. We've talked about the Red Sox and Yankees using Apple watches. Uh, as I said, the, the Astros have been pointed at as as cheating and stealing signs for quite some time. I know whenever the A's go into Houston, I know the games are going to be long because there nobody on second, they're flashing eight signs because they're so paranoid that the Astros are using some way to get their signs and tip off their batters. And now I think we've, at least a couple of years ago, we found out that it's by banging on a garbage can somewhere in the dugout, supposedly. So much for using technology. Well, yeah. I mean, the technology there being is that they've got supposedly, and this is none of this is proven. And until anything is proven, we are going to go ahead and we're going to we're going to give them the benefit of the doubt. But there's a lot of evidence right now that they're they've got they've got some sort of camera set up in center field where they can see the the signs that a catcher is flashing. The theory is that they've got somebody watching that feed live, not on an eight-second delay, somewhere near the dugout. And the theory is that when there is a fastball, they don't do anything. But if there's an off-speed pitch, somebody will take a baseball bat and whack a plastic garbage can that is down the runway, and the batter can hear that. And there's videos all over the internet of dissecting Astros games where you can clearly hear some noise that sounds like a garbage can being beat with a bat, and then you watch the pitch and it's off speed. No noise, it's a fastball. Noise, it's an off-speed pitch, and it's it's really pretty compelling evidence, but again, it is just, this is all theory at this point. Nothing has been proved. It's, it's an incredibly long sequence of coincidences, I think. I'm, yeah, I'm an joking. awful lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> an awful lot yeah, of Yeah, a lot of them. Yeah. And and don't forget the Yankees even just this year during the ALCS complained that they heard whistling coming from the Astros dugouts that, you know, was kind of taking the place of the beating of the the garbage can. So, this is still clearly on the minds and still people still think that this is still going on. So, I found a a, a quote from Ty Cobb in 1926. So, this is almost 100 years ago. 
And he apparently wrote a column for a newspaper. And this is what he said. He said, quote, in the minds of the public, there seems to be an impression that sign stealing is illegal at any rate, unsportsmanlike. It is not so regarded by ballplayers. If a player is smart enough to solve the opposing system of signals, he is given due credit. But there is another form of sign stealing which is reprehensible and should be so regarded. That is where mechanical devices work from outside sources, such as the use of field glasses, a.k.a. binoculars, mirrors, and so on are used. Signal tipping on the field is not against the rules, while the use of outside devices is against all laws of baseball and playing rules. It is obviously unfair. So right there, Ty Cobb, and I'm wondering, I, I don't know if this was ghost written for him or what, but that's some <laughs> very well-written prose. Well, it is saying... It certainly is accurate. He, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it, it, like, it plays today exactly, yeah. too. I mean, it, it still 100% stands up. If you are standing there at second base or the catcher is sitting in a position that you can see what signs he is flashing from the field or even the coach's box or the dugout sure mm-hmm. you you're given credit you're you're doing a good job but if you're having to use binoculars or cameras that's not that that's unfair it's against the rules and that's you know that's not the way the game is is meant to be played yeah i think uh i think you're going to see major league baseball itself step in and uh, enforce that rule a lot more than they have been yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see, you know, I, I'm assuming that, I don't want to say all teams, I'm assuming most teams have some sort of method when they're at home to try to do something similar. Mm-hmm. They're obviously a lot more subtle. I, I'm <laughs> not going to say the word smart, but if they're doing it, it might just be a bullpen catcher putting a towel over something and then picking it up or tossing a ball doing something a lot more subtle than banging on a garbage can that's being picked up on TV broadcast. Yeah, and everybody carries but, a video camera with them 24-7. So, you know, some somehow, some way, somebody's going to pick it up. I, l- let's look at a couple of instances of sign stealing throughout history. All right. Let's go all the way back to 1876. This is the first year of the National League, and the Hartford Dark Blues who I believe you applied for a job with them, but they turned you down. Is that correct? The Dark Blues, yeah, I did. They said I didn't look good in Dark Blue. Yeah, you, so your first job was with the Light Blues. Actually. Yeah, the Light the Blues, Blues definitely turned you down. Yeah, I told them, I don't look, I don't look good in anything. You guys are, what's the point? <laughs> well, and they're like, well, we certainly don't want to see you in nothing. So <laughs> go, go talk to the Light Blues. Yeah. The Dark Blues were, uh, they were blamed. They said that they, opponents said that the Dark Blues placed a man in a small shack on a telegraph pole beyond the outfield wall and would alert the batters when this new pitch that was just coming into fashion called the curveball was coming their way. Before this, if you remember, batters could even actually call where they wanted the ball if they wanted it high or low. Right. But now, you know, it was always a fastball, but now there's this new pitch, which is off speed. So it's a big advantage, as we said, if you're looking for something fast and something's coming in, you know, seven to ten miles per hour slower with a big break it's helpful to be able to know that before it's thrown absolutely this completely off the subject but as i was reading about the dark blues mark twain a big baseball fan was actually a season ticket holder of the blues they they didn't have season tickets wow but he went to a lot of games 
And uh, there was a big rivalry game between uh, Hartford and Boston. And Twain went to the game. And the very next day, there was an ad run in the local paper in Hartford. And I'm going to read you word for word what this ad says. $205 reward. At the great baseball match of Tuesday, while I was engaged in hurrahing, a small boy walked off with an English-made brown silk umbrella belonging to me and forgot to bring it back. I will pay $5 for the return of the umbrella in good condition to my house on Farmington Avenue. I do not want the boy in an active state, but will pay $200 for his remains. <laughs> Signed, Samuel L. Clemens. Wow. <laughs> wow. That, that written just as well as would be as expected as Ty Cobb's piece. Yes. This one a lot funnier. <laughs> Almost backfired on him, though. Local medical student, also with a sense of humor, had some fun at, at uh, Mr. Clemens' uh, expense. The student left one of his cadavers, a corpse of a young boy, on oh. Twain's porch, along with a note asking for the reward money. Oh, so- <laughs> Lord. You, this guy just had a corpse sitting around? I mean, come on. Yeah, you can so he's, borrow one? He's a <laughs> medical student, so I guess he was done with this one and just propped it up on his porch and said, that's 200 bucks. That's kind of Well, macabre. you know, I don't think poor taste uh, describes what, what that little trick is, but hey, you know, we're, they were different times. All right, so now let's fast forward a couple of years. 1892, Morgan Murphy. This guy... Uh, was known for a very innovative way of stealing signs. He was playing for the Philadelphia Phillies in 1998, actually, and he's credited with being the inventor of a scheme where he would put himself along the outfield wall behind a whiskey advertisement with some binoculars. And there was a specific letter O, which he would open or close to signal to the batter which pitch was going to be coming. A couple of years later, he devised another scheme where he was still beyond the outfield wall, but instead of uh, relaying the sign by that O, he would relay them with a buzzer that was hidden inside the third base's coaching box. So the, the third base coach would be standing there, and if he felt the ground vibrate, he you know signaled to the batter that there's an off-speed pitch coming. Uh, this was later discovered, however, when Tommy Cochran of the Cincinnati Reds tripped over what he thought was a vine growing in the third bases. I, that's a really hard uh-huh. for me to say. The third base coach's box. Right. So he thought it was a vine. He tripped over it. So he pulled it up and then it just kept going. You know, he could tell it was a wire at that point. Wow. But he just kept pulling it up and it went all the way out to the outfield wall where they, you know, discovered where Murphy would, would be stationed. And See? I'm sure they took matters into their own hands. Wi-Fi makes a big difference. <laughs> yeah. If only they had Apple Watches then. Yeah, yeah. So I mentioned this one. I've mentioned this one a couple of times before, so we'll just go over it quickly. Pierce, what's the use, Chills? He was the third base coach for the Phillies. He also had a wire running to his third base coach's box. Said it better that time. But he would also, he'd have the grounds crew make a puddle of water be there so that he'd get shocked. Instead of just a <laughs> vibration, he'd get shocked <laughs> when when they would send that sign. But uh, one time he was uh, when he when he did this, the other coach was there and just started kicking away at dirt because he was bored and uncovered this box with all these wires in there. And then they figured out that something something strange was afoot at the local Circle K there. Wow, I guess and, so. Uh, so it would shock him. You know what? I mean, that is dedication. 
When 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 you say I will I will go ahead and let you inflict bodily harm upon me to gain an advantage for my team, you are dedicated. Coach, why 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 is your leg shaking? Oh, I just I, I don't not enough potassium. That's it. Don't worry about it. It's just just get me a banana. Wow. That's crazy. All right. So probably the most famous sign stealing incident is nineteen fifty one, the shot heard round the world with Robbie Thompson. The Philadelphia A's, the New York Giants, the Giants had had a buzzer installed in their uh, Polo Grounds clubhouse. So we've talked about this because I love the Polo Grounds. If you remember, both the visitor and the home uh, clubhouse, not dugout, but the clubhouse is about seven miles away, straight away center field. (laughs) I posted pictures of of a young Joe Garagiola hiding in one of those windows when Willie Mays made the catch. But they would infamously have somebody in one of those windows in the clubhouse with a, they said it's spyglass. So I, I just see it, you know, like a pirate with a long, uh, yes. a long spyglass. And there's a buzzer that was installed up there by the uh, union electrician, Abraham Chadwick, who happened to be a lifelong Dodgers fan. But he was, he was uh, diagnosed with cancer, and so he couldn't do a lot of work. So they made him the electrician for the polo ground, so he'd turn on the lights for night games, and he also ran this buzzer all the way out to the home bullpen. Guy would be in the, the clubhouse, he'd see what's coming, he'd buzz the, uh, the, the, the bullpen, and if it was going to be a fastball, the bullpen catcher down there would just hold the ball in his hand. But if it was going to be a breaking ball, he'd toss it up in the air, and that would tell the batter what was coming. A little more subtle. Yeah, a little bit more subtle, right? Not, not yeah. shocking somebody nor banging on a garbage can. But Robbie Thompson says he he was not he didn't know what was coming. He claims that he was not using the system. Uh, there's a couple of other teammates that you know after the fact contradicted that. But uh, Ralph Branca, the pitcher who gave up that home run, became good friends with Robbie Thompson after this. And I thought Ralph Branca was just, he was a class guy. He said, I never asked him about it. I'm, I'm not going to say anything about it. Whether he knew it was coming or not, he still had to hit the ball. And, you know, he hit the snot out of it. And it was such a great home run. And it's such a great piece of baseball history. I don't want to tarnish it. So, wow, that's, that's, uh, that's a big man. That's, right there, that is class. That. that is class. A couple of other uh, uh, instances that I found. Hall of Famer Hank Greenberg. We have we've talked about Hank numerous times on this show. Oh yeah. He uh also really liked to know what pitch was coming. <laughs> <laughs> he uh there was a system that they had also. This is a lot more subtle. I just the Indians or the Indians, the Astros really should have just, you know, studied a little bit of history. The way that they would tell Hank what was coming is once they knew what the what you know what was coming, if they said, "All right, Hank, you can do it." That meant there was a fastball. But if they said, come on, Hank, that meant curveball. Again, just kind of a subtle, subtle way of doing it. Much more subtle. Yeah. Cleveland in 1959 and 60, Chuck Tanner was an outfielder there. I remember Chuck as a a manager for the uh, Pirates myself. Uh, He was an outfielder for the Indians in 59 and 60. And he said that they had a guy out there in center field with a telescope. And uh, he also would have a buzzer that uh, he would ring once for a fastball, twice for a curve, or three times for a pitch out. It would sound in a in a restroom there in the dugout, 
somebody inside that restroom would bang on the door and then the coach would relay it to the hitter. So not incredibly efficient, but listen to these numbers. Cleveland that year was 51 and 26 at home and 36 and 41 on the road. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. It was. (laughs) They might have been using like, it sounds like these guys have, some of them may have had like almost a Rube Goldberg set up. Maybe they should have had Rube Goldberg set set their uh, balls and strikes and, and, and pitch counts up and so on like that. A cuckoo clock opens, yes. knocks down a ball, which rolls down, knocks over some dominoes. That's right. Makes the chicken squawk and lays an egg, rolls down this hill. Yeah, absolutely. Why not? I mean, if you're going to sit there and bang on garbage cans or shock your third base coach, I mean, why not do something fun with it, like a Rube Goldberg machine? Even something like that, probably less suspicious than banging <laughs> on a garbage can. Yeah, this is true. Another another instance, 1960 Chicago's pitching instructor Dizzy Trout, Mike Trout's long-lost third cousin, he would watch the opposing catcher from inside Comiskey Park's exploding scoreboard. Uh, Trout would then trigger a light hidden amongst others in the center field display that would tell the hitters what type of pitch was about to be thrown. If it was blinking, it was a breaking ball, if it was solid, it was a fastball. Now, the ingenious part of this is this light could be seen from both home plate and the White Sox dugout, but it could not be seen from the visitors' dugout. Wow. So that's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, unless the catcher happens to see it for the visiting team, no one else is going to see it. Wow, that's impressive. That was really good. Now, I, I did, in some of the research I read, modern scoreboards, some people have been claiming that these modern video boards <laughs> are using the same kind of technique. Now, both... Yourself and I are intimately familiar with with these scoreboards. Yes, uh, you definitely with uh, with the Mariners large screen. I've you know worked at the Mariners several other buildings where we've done these large screens. I can tell you that in the buildings that I have worked in, there is no way that anything is being signaled on these large screens because if one pixel starts blinking the entire front office starts to freak out. So <laughs> this is true. You know, I actually, I, I had a little bit of a run in with uh, something in, of that nature. It was the year after A-Rod had left and signed with the Rangers. When he came back, the greeting, if you want to call it that, was massive and people throwing fake dollar bills. And, and you know, there was one guy who had a, a fishing rod and reel with a $100 bill at the end of, of the line. And, I mean, they were doing everything. And so somebody told one of the members of the uh, higher-ups at, uh, at the Mariners that, the scoreboard did not have shortstop for Alex, but it said two dollar signs, which, <laughs> Beautiful. Right, which is brilliant, but I didn't do it, you know, and, and it's so funny because I, I actually had to show everybody how, look, if I put anything but an actual position in, it just kicks it back out. So I couldn't have put two dollar signs in there. Uh, it, I mean, it would have been funny and I'd have taken credit for it and I probably wouldn't be doing the show now. It was uh, it was just humorous when I came in and, and someone asked me about that. And I was just like, wow, you know, if I'd done it, I would have pointed it out because I'd have been proud of it. Yeah. Didn't something like that happen at the Broncos or something where uh, somebody blamed the scoreboard operator for something and they got in trouble until they finally discovered that nobody in that scoreboard room is doing anything unless the front office tells them. <laughs> <laughs> to do you know something nefarious like that so, right yeah it, it was it was funny there was somebody in the front office who thought it was hysterical and someone who did not 
We'll just put it that way. <laughs> I can probably guess who thought it was funny and who <laughs> was not laughing. A couple of other things. This one a little bit more modern. The Blue Jays' Man in White. This was in 2011. The team was never named that discovered this in, in the couple of articles that I read. But they, uh, while visiting the Rogers Center, Sky Dome, whatever the heck it was called in 2011, this team saw a man in white that had positioned himself in straightaway center field, and he was in a seat that when you're standing at the plate, at home plate, he appeared right above the pitcher's head. So perfectly placed. He was dressed in all white. And he would raise his arms above his head. And so, you know, he's kind of obvious because he's dressed in all white. So the visiting bullpen started to see this. So they had one guy stare at him and another guy stare at the radar gun. And every time the guy would raise his hand above his head, the guy would say, okay, he's doing it. And the next pitch was a fastball every time. So (laughs) and every time he didn't do it, it was a breaking ball. They discovered this. Somebody went out to talked to this guy and he scampered away quickly and was never seen again. But wow. <laughs> uh, again, being pretty obvious to, to be dressed that conspicuously and then just be standing like you're doing semaphore out there trying to <laughs> land a plane on an aircraft carrier or something. It's, it's a, kind of a take on the whole lady in white thing out of the natural, except, you know, instead of Glenn Close, <laughs> it was some doofus. <laughs> And instead of being behind home plate, you're straight away center field. Right. So it's pretty much the same thing, except the opposite. Uh, again, we've talked about uh, the Red Sox and the Yankees and their Apple Watches. Yada, yada. We've done that one. Uh, I mentioned the Yankees, of course, did report whistling from the Astros during this year's ALCS. What really gets me was A.J. Hinch's response when you know somebody brought up that the Yankees were complaining about this whistling. He said... These kind of questions, it makes me laugh. It's ridiculous. And had I known that it would take something like that to set the Yankees or any other team off, we would have practiced it in spring training. So he's just being so smug. So, I mean, if if anything comes out of this investigation, to just, I I hope somebody reads that back to him and says, what do you think about these comments you made earlier? Because that's so smug. Yeah, that, that. Knowing, obviously, he is aware of what's going on. Either that, or he's incredibly dumb. So you know, and maybe maybe the smugness wasn't the best idea to throw out there. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things is you know somebody like AJ Hinch has to know if this is going on. He knows about it. Uh, I mean, there's also questions about Cora and Carlos Beltran. Hmm. Uh, of course, Cora now the manager of the Red Sox. Beltran just named the manager of the Mets. Beltron was on that 2017 World Series team where all these allegations uh, first surfaced. And uh, Alex Cora was the bench coach for that team. That's right. They clearly had to know as well. Uh, You know, something that I saw today, some Astro fans were saying, all right, so Mike Fires has come out and said this. But what about all the other players that are no longer on the Astros from those teams? You know, none of them have come out and said anything, which is true, which I'm wondering, is it that unspoken rule where you just you don't talk about these kind of things, even if it is? I'm, I'm guessing they probably tell their teams that they're currently on. Hey, if you hear banging, they're stealing our signs. We got to switch it up. Right. But you're not going to go tell the media. Right. Of course. There has been some reaction from uh, former and current players out there on social media right now. A couple of them I'll read you here. Former pitcher Phil Hughes. 
Bill, I remember pitched for the Yankees and the Twins. I know. I, I might have been some other teams as well. This was his, he tweeted this out. He said, I'm convinced every team was using cameras to seal signs, but only during my starts. <laughs> so, good sense of humor by Phil. Uh, Sean Doolittle, closer for the world champion uh, Washington Nationals. He was happy this was coming out. He said, special shout out to John Boy, who, uh, if you don't know, is a good at lip reading and, and kind of doing these, these sleuthing uh, type of things. And I'll, I'll put a link to his stuff in the show notes about this. But he said, special shout out to John Boy and the Internet Sleuths on Reddit for all the work you've been doing. Keep banging away at it. Sign stealing is part of baseball. It's game and it's gamesmanship of runner picking up signs from second base or looking how a pitcher might be tipping his pitches based on how he comes set is fair game. If you can do it using your eyeballs, it's okay. If you're using technology, it's cheating. There you go. I mean, he basically rewrote Ty Cobb's uh, yeah. column from earlier in the show. Exactly the same thing. Yeah. Uh, Trevor Plouffe, uh, who I believe just retired a year or two ago, he was talking with his buddy Carson Smith, who I believe is still an active player. I think he was on, I know he had Tommy John a year or two ago when uh, with the Red Sox. He said, uh, and this is a quote, according to Carson Smith, and now it's been confirmed, the Astros had someone watching a live feed and then relaying the pitch calls via earpiece to a bullpen catcher. Hands up on the fence for fastball and hands down for off speed. Hmm. So there is another, you know, example of, you know, maybe they graduated from banging on the garbage can to something a little bit more subtle. But still, if you've got a catcher in the bullpen with an earpiece in, that is automatic. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's trouble. I would call that technology. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's about as, I mean, next to an Apple Watch, that's about as technological as you're going to get. Right. Trevor Williams, former Pirates pitcher, said the best way to combat sign stealing is to not give signs at all, ever. It'll speed up the game, too. Everybody's guessing. Fans think it'll be a changeup. Catcher (laughs) wants a heater, and I'm going to throw a slider. Now what's going to (laughs) happen? Interesting suggestion there. One of the, one of the, kind of solutions that I have seen is that people are talking about going the NFL routes. You know, the NFL has the quarterbacks and the defensive captain have earpieces in their headset so that the sideline can call in the plays to them instead of having to, you know, do signals and all this other stuff. So people are saying, well, why don't we give the, the pitcher an earpiece and the catcher a little microphone and they can, they can go that way. First of all, we're already paranoid enough when you go on the mound to talk to anybody. You, everybody's covering up their mouths with their mitts. This is just going to, they're going to use the same camera in center field and they're just going to read lips is what's going to happen. Yeah, every team will hire a lip reader. Yep. Or a ventriloquist if they want to throw them off. Ooh. Third base coach can be making separate calls and fooling everybody. <laughs> Throwing your voice could definitely be an advantage. Uh, I found a couple of cool facts about ways that a couple of pitchers have gotten around sign stealing. So first of all, your boy, Nolan Ryan. Yes. He he of the seven no-hitters, let's let's rewind back to his second no-hitter. He didn't take a single sign the entire game from his catcher, Art Kushner. He suspected that the Tigers were stealing signs. So the entire game, he called his own game from the mound. So he would touch the back of his cap for a fastball, and he'd tug on the brim for a curveball. Wow. Which is genius. Is. I mean, yeah, you just, 
you tell Art, just keep flashing those signs, but look at me. Playing with your cap is something that pitchers always do, so it's not really drawing that much suspicion. So exactly. I thought that was ingenious. Yeah. The the second one, so we talked about Greg Maddox before and that those great quotes he had about location and off-speed. So his catcher, well, actually, you know, his catcher for most of his career, if you remember, in Atlanta was Eddie Perez. He was his personal catcher for the most part. Javi Lopez and Greg Maddox didn't work very well together. And that probably explains why Javi Lopez says that Greg Maddox would signal his own pitches and he would do it by the way that he positioned his glove or caught the ball on the return throw. Wow. So how cool is that? Like, you know, okay, there's a pitch. The catcher's just throwing it back to the to, to Greg Maddox. And the way that Maddox caught it would tell Javi what was coming next. Wow, that's impressive. So, there you go. I literally just put that together in my head as I was reading that. Because I remember having sat behind so many Greg Maddox starts that it was Eddie Perez was was his caddy out there. Yeah. He was because I every year, you know, the Braves would make the playoffs and the big news would be the, the last start or two of the season. Javi Lopez would catch Greg Maddox because you wanted to have Javi in there for the playoffs. You didn't want to have Eddie Perez starting, a, you know, game one of the NLDS. Right. Exactly. There you go. Yeah. I'm going to, as I said, I'm going to put a bunch of things in our show notes uh, again, we're going to go along with the innocent until proven guilty. But uh, if you want to look at some of this stuff, the videos, uh, they've got guys that have broken this down using just the audio. Because, you know, some people are claiming, oh, anybody could have stuck that audio in that, <laughs> you know, in these clips. They have really done some uh, some work on this stuff. But again, uh, you know, MLB is investigating and innocent until proven guilty, but I'll put a, a whole bunch of links in the show notes if you want to do a little bit of internet sleuthing yourself. And uh, I think that is a pretty comprehensive history of stealing signs. Well, I know I learned a lot. Fantastic. All right. So now is normally the time where we jump into one of our most popular segments with uh, the theme that is sweeping the country, Wax Packs Hero. But we've had, uh, along with Mark's technical difficulties this is actually the second time that we've recorded this show and we've already done wax packs hero but we lost the audio to it yeah so i i'll, I'll give you a brief overview i smoked him <laughs> i i had <laughs> he did he did i got three hall of famers in a row it was it was not not pretty we opened up some 89 don russ cards I opened, I, I got Andre Doss and George Brett and Kirby Puckett, one right after another. And that beat his uh, Daryl Strawberry, which was was, uh, was his best card, along with a Diamond Kings uh, Don Mattingly. Which was a pretty card. Yeah, it's a pretty card. Uh, even though Mattingly should really shave those sideburns. <laughs> but I, I'm not sure I, I might post the video. That we, we don't have the accompanying audio. I might post it anyway, just if you want to see the cards. Uh, I'll probably do that because I, I, I know one of the things I like to do is just see the cards we're talking about. Remember what they look like when we got that card last week with Ryan Sandberg sliding into Jose Uribe. That was a great looking card. and I wanted to, everybody to be able to see that. Right. So if you want to check out our YouTube channel, please do. I'll, I'll throw that up there if, if I don't have to edit it because there's no audio to it. So probably get it up there a little bit quicker. To fill in this, the time, though, here before the end of the show, 
I thought we'd take a quick, uh, I'm going to give you a quick quiz here, Mark, on nicknames from the 1980s and 1990s. I'm in the hot seat. So, yep, you're in the hot seat. So I've got about 50 nicknames here from players from those two decades. Uh, Doesn't mean they played their entire career in those decades. Just means that they were active at some point during those 20 years. I've got them in a randomizer here. I'm going to shuffle them, and I'm going to give you the player's nickname. And then you're going to tell me uh, who it is. Okay. I'm going to give you 10 of them. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and shuffle the first one and spin the wheel. You might be able to hear it. I didn't realize there were going to be sound effects. (laughs) It's very professional. Here comes. Oh, there's even applause. I don't know if you can hear that. All right. So the uh, first nickname is Eric the Red. Uh, Eric the Red would have to be. Uh, Eric Davis. Ding, ding, ding. Yes. Chicken dinner right there. All right. Eric Davis, uh, solid hitter. Better than that. I mean, just the guy was a defensive whiz. He yeah. had a gun. I mean, he was a five-tool guy. He had speed. He had that arm. He was good with defense. He hit for power. Uh, you know, maybe a four-and-a-half tool. I, I don't think – I think his average, you know, I'm guessing he probably hit 280, 290, mm-hmm. which with his power numbers, that's – I mean, he was – an MVP candidate every year. He was. He just couldn't stay healthy. He had, yeah, exactly. He had some streaks that were just like unreal. We might have to talk about that because he was a streaky hitter, and sometimes he would put up numbers that were just amazing. I'm fairly certain he was one of the inductees into the Hall of Game this year that we talked about at the Negro League Museum. Oh, cool. Fairly certain that he went in with Stu this year. All right, so you're you're one for one. So we're gonna take that out of the queue. We're gonna spin the wheel again. And your next nickname, I'm curious if you're going to get this one, Wonder Dog. Wonder. Not the hit dog. No. <laughs> who, I, who I know you wouldn't get anyway. Right. Uh, um, but uh, Wonder Dog. I think I know um, because he, he was uh, like a utility player. Wasn't it Rex Hudler? Correct. Ooh! Very nice. Yes. I can't believe I got that. But for some reason, it clicked. <laughs> Yeah, Rex Hudler. I remember him with the Expos mm-hmm. specifically because of his baseball cards with the Expos. Yeah, but uh, you're right. Utility infielder, played a little bit of everything, went on to be a just awful homer announcer with the, <laughs> with the California Angels. He and, and Steve Fiziok, and I believe they have reteamed now with the Kansas City Royals. Not as annoying because I don't have to hear them as much, but yeah. Rex Hudler, very nice pull. Wow. I wasn't sure if you were going to get that one. I got lucky. All right, two for two. You give the wheel spin here one more time. Well, seven more times to be yes. clear, but we'll give it another spin right now. And, oh, oh, good. Shooter. 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 Oh, boy, I'm drawing a blank on this one. Shooter. Um, I'm going to give you a, I'm not going to tell you the position. Right. I'm going to give you two teams. Okay. The San Francisco Giants and the Chicago Cubs. Shooter. Um, yeah, I'm, somebody with the last name Winchester, maybe? Get it? <laughs> he, was a, he was a pitcher, a closer. Huh. Uh, I'm drawing a blank, man. Al Her- Oh, the Al mad Herbosky. Hungarian. No, no, I was going to say Al Herbosky lookalike. Oh, oh, uh, God, was that, was that Jones? No, Rod Beck. Rod Beck, sure. He did that song, Loser. 
Yep, that's him. Awesome. Exactly. Rod Beck was Shooter. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, I, 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 once I read it, I'm like, oh, I think I remember that. Yeah, but yeah, I probably wouldn't have been able to pull that one either. But I, I do remember it. But yeah, that was that was a little bit harder. All right, so you are now two for three. Let's give the wheel another spin here. And okay, you should get this one. E.T. E.T. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, why am I not coming up with it? Um, it's not Bill Lee, right? No, nope, that's the that spaceman. Space so we're, you know, we're close. I'm going to, I'll give you a clue here. Uh, tongue in cheek, Oakland athletics, legend, Oakland athletics, legend, tongue in cheek. Um, I don't know, man. I got lots of dead air. That's all I got. So in, uh, 1990, he technically won the batting title in both leagues. Think St. Louis Cardinals. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> the pressure's on, and I'm choking. Willie McGee. Willie McGee. Wow, I didn't know he was an Oakland A. Yeah, so remember he was traded. Uh, the A's at the deadline acquired Willie McGee. They acquired uh, Harold Baines and Bobby Witt. I remember now. All, all at the, all at the deadline. That's right. And Willie McGee was leading the National League in batting when he was traded. And then came over, and he didn't have enough at-bats to qualify in the American League, but he had the highest average since he came over from the American League, too. E.T., was that because but, of his looks? Yep, exactly because of his looks. <laughs> Interesting-looking gentleman. Yes, he, he was. We should, we should not call the, the, the pot black. But uh, <laughs> All right, so you are two for four. Spin the wheel again. Oh, Oh, just went past the one I really wanted. All right, I think you should get this one. Bamtino. Bamtino. Um, Bamtino, the great Bamtino. Well, I'm going to go with Tino Martinez. There you go. All right. Was that, that was a guess, I'm assuming? Well, it just made sense. Yep. <laughs> I, technically, Tino's his nickname because his first name's Constantino. Oh, wow. See the things you learn on here. All right, spin the wheel again. Right now, you are three for five. All right, I am. I am not sure you're going to get this one. The Polish Prince. <laughs> oh man. Um. Okay, let me think about just names that might have the Polish Prince. Now he he has another nickname. He is <clears throat> currently. Part of a of a broadcast team for a major league team, I, I guess. More common nickname is Crook. Oh, oh, Mike Krukow. There you go. Gotcha. The Polish Prince. <laughs> I haven't heard that one either. I I know that one because he's the Giants. Uh, he's part of the Giants right. uh, TV announcement. So I I I don't watch them very often, but I know that they call him that just from that. Oh. Yep. There you go. I'm I'm gonna give you that one. Okay. Thanks. All right, give you another spin here. And your next nickname is, there we go, Spanky. <laughs> Mike LaValliere. Yes. One of my I favorites. I love Mike LaValliere. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, boy. So I think he came up with the Cardinals, but, man, do I remember him with the Pittsburgh Pirates. The great Spanky. Yep, absolutely. The guy could hit. Oh, boy. And he was quick, too. I remember that. For a catcher, he had speed. 
Oh man. But boy, he he just he he looked like Spanky. He had kind of a kind of a squished face mm-hmm. and he was kind of a stout catcher. You know, not very tall, kind of a fire plug looking yep, guy. Exactly. Mike the Volier. Oh, I love I was so a big fan. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, so you're doing good. You're you're 5 for 7 right now. Not bad. A couple more spins here. My goal was to get one. Oh. <laughs> All right. This one I think you should get. This is a great nickname. Bam Bam. Uh, Hensley Mullins. There you Boom. go. Very nice. I was a big uh, collector of Hensley Mullins cards, and they didn't quite pan out for me. That was another one of those cards that you, you stockpiled because That's right. he came up with the Yankees, and he was going to be this big power hitter. And which is which is weird because he really didn't do anything in the majors, but then he became a hitting coach. Yes. And he has been uh, he's I think he's been a hitting coach with the Yankees. He's one of those names right now every offseason that you hear in terms of filling a managerial spot. I believe he managed the Netherlands in the last World Baseball Classic because he's from Curacao. Yeah, that would make sense. And. Uh, yeah, so he's he's still very much in the game and is a major league level coach and, and maybe possibly a manager in the near future. Hey, you never know. Don't All throw right, those so cards got... away. You never know. No, you might be a Hall of Fame manager and those might become worse. That's right. All right, so <laughs> this is a funny one to get. Sluggo. Sluggo. Okay, that sounds familiar. Uh... Can you give me a team? Uh, I'll give you two teams: the Pirates and the Yankees. Slug, uh, uh, sl- Don Slot. There you go. <laughs> That's funny that he <laughs> came up. Nice. Two Pittsburgh catchers in a row. Yeah, right after Lavalier. <laughs> but I mean, with a name like Sluggo, he's got to be. My next clue is going to be: it's got to be a catcher with a name like. Sluggo. Yeah, that was my first thought. I was like, well. <laughs> <laughs> very nice all right so you're down to your final spin here you have got eight out of or i'm sorry seven out of nine so far wow so this is a this is a great score so far so here we go final spin and your final nickname is <laughs> we go from sluggo to booger <laughs> booger uh we talked booger. about this didn't we Yep. Um, I'm trying to remember. We've talked about this gentleman the last couple of shows, as a matter of fact. Oh, man. Um, I can't think of it. Booger, it's not striking me, man. I will, I will give you one team. If I give you both teams, I think it'll be obvious. Okay. So I'm just going to start out with the Montreal Expos. Booger was on the Expos. Came oh, up oh, with the Expos. oh, 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 oh. Uh, was it Larry Walker? There you go. <laughs> I finally remember what we Very talked nice. about. <laughs> and and your special bonus question, who is the one dog? <laughs> the, <laughs> you mean the hit machine? You know I have a... No, I mean the one dog. <laughs> you know I have a blank spot I there. Mean, I, I know you do, but this is literally like the fifth time I've asked you this. <laughs> Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna minus eight points if you don't get this right. It was uh, Lance Johnson, right? 
There you go. Did you just Google that? No, sir. I don't have a computer. <laughs> there. Yeah, you are right. Finally, it is Lance Johnson. You got that right. Uh, we'll give you a half a point, but we're going to round down there for that bonus question. Okay, that's so fair. your final score, eight out of 10. Wow. That is a very, very acceptable score. I'm shocked. Very nice. So again, uh, we're sorry, but the, the Wax Packs Heroes, we did it. And uh, we unfortunately lost the audio to that. So uh, this was a this was a fun game, nonetheless. I thought we've still got plenty of other nicknames to hit, uh, so we can do this again in the future as well. But uh, like to remind everybody, if you want to follow us on social media, we are at Two Strike Noise. That is at T W O Strike Noise on both Twitter and Instagram. We post a lot of uh, we've been posting a lot of Astros conspiracy theories lately. But uh, a lot of uh, other stuff that we like to post that's just kind of weird from from baseball. Uh, we'd sure appreciate you following us. You can interact with us there, uh, tweet at us, DM us. Uh, you know that's how we've uh, that's how we get fined in kangaroo court a lot of the time. Uh, we welcome your interaction. Also, Mark, I think let's just take a second out just to thank our listeners. Uh, we this is episode number forty two. And uh, I, I, I think we all, uh, both Mark and I, really appreciate everybody that listens to us and uh, that sends us those, uh, those messages on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you very much. Absolutely. We're absolutely grateful. Uh, and in all seriousness, thank you for tuning in. You, there's a million podcasts out there, and the fact that you chose to listen to ours, uh, we, we really uh, we see that for what it is, and we appreciate it. This is the only baseball podcast, though, uh, so don't bother looking around. This is it. This is Even it. though we often tweet about other baseball podcasts, right? This is it. This is really there it. are none so more. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, Mark, the the several times that we did this show <laughs> to this week, yeah. it was still fun. Should we do another one? I I would I would like to do another one right this minute, but I don't have my computer, so <laughs> we'll have to do it uh, soon. Yes. All right. Well, why don't you just bang on the garbage can and tell me when you're ready to do it again? Uh, we'll do it again and maybe actually only have to do it once this next time. But uh, nonetheless, uh, we will come back with another edition of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. Bye.